Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll introduce you, but I'm going to record the introduction separately as well. Welcome to The Locket. Each week, I sit down with a special guest and we discuss how going out has led them to become the person they are today, covering everything from the people to the places to the music. My name is Tobias Graham, I'm your bartender for the night, and this is The Glory's Lock-In. Joining me tonight in the pub is actor, writer, comedian, cabaret performer, David Mills. Welcome to The Lock-In. Hi. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm, you know, hanging on by a thread like the rest of us. You know, I, I feel like there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel, but I'm not convinced. I mean, it could be an under oncoming train. So I'm, I'm a little nervous about what's to come. But uh, I cannot fucking wait to be social again, mostly, know. you know, uh, outdoors and indoors. Yeah, I know. And how has this lockdown been for you? You're a you're a performer. And obviously yeah. that's all kind of translated now onto Zoom. I've seen a few Zoom comedy shows myself. Tell me about yeah. that experience. What's that been like? Well, I, I'm, I'm kind of old school in so many ways. I, I just find the Zoom comedy stuff incredibly depressing myself i can't watch it and i can't do it you know i'm just not good at it and so i um i've I've avoided it i've tried a few you know i've tried to do some zoom stuff and i've failed miserably so i just think i need that sort of uh connection with the audience in order to really come alive as a performer so I haven't been performing and that's been really hard. You know, one of the things for performers who are are out there three, four, five nights a week is we have like this adrenaline fix, you know? And I couldn't quite figure it out why I was so depressed when lockdown happened. And And it's because I realized that, you know, I was on this kind of pretty consistent hit of adrenaline throughout my life for the past, you know, 20 years. And with all that taken away, you you really crash. And so I crashed initially pretty hard. And I've crawled out of that and uh, spent a lot of time trying to write and um, draw and just try and be creative in different ways. I guess that's the best I can say, you know. That's all you can do. That's all any of us can do. It's uh, find that creativity in, in the little things. Yeah. But tonight we're going to remember the good old days pre-pandemic when we could go out, have a good time, take to the streets, listen to our favourite songs. And to get us in the mood, I wonder if you've got a song that you would hear if you were not in the mood to party or you're just having a very lazy day and someone plays this song and it just makes you want to go out. Do you have a song like that? I would say, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm sort of old school. I would say Grace Jones, Pull Up to the Bumper Baby. Iconic. Yeah, totally iconic. You know, one of the things that lockdown has allowed is like a lot of time for deep dives into things. And I recently went on a real deep dive Grace Jones moment and realized how consistent she's been throughout my life you know, always there. Those songs are just such classics, but we a little bit take them for granted because they, they are there, you know, and um, she's, just, she's just amazing. So yeah, that's been, that's been of late kind of getting me, getting me hyped up. That was a song during the first lockdown that me and my friends made up a dance to. So whenever I hear really? that now, it, always, it will now always remind me of that first 
summer lockdown and me and my friends just clawing at any opportunity to have fun. I mean, the other great thing about that song is you can get these remixes that last, you know, like 15 minutes, you know, yeah. and she's just, you know, insane and going on and on and on. It's amazing. It's amazing. Have you ever seen her live? Never. Oh, really? I've never explored Grace Jones enough. Right. Have you seen her? She, yeah, a, a, a bunch of times because up for almost like maybe... 10 years ago, she or, or six years ago, maybe six to 10 years ago, she was everywhere. She was at all the festivals, maybe she had a new album out and she had a good sort of three or four years where every time, whether you were at Pride or uh, something at Hyde Park or um, one of the festivals in East London, you know, at Victoria Park, something, she'd always show up. She was always there, you know, and she just she would just do these like 15 minute pull up to the bumper baby you know basically naked with a hula hoop you know and she's in her 60s you know she's amazing and one time i saw her at hyde park and the bill was check it out nile rogers from chic right then grace jones then kylie oh my god it was insane it was insane. It was so. Great. I've seen Niall Rogers and I've seen Kylie on two separate yeah. occasions, but you yeah. saw you saw the Golden Trinity. I know, right? It was amazing. Hyde Park. Yeah, the place to be. This is one of the things that I can't wait for post lockdown is is being able to go to a festival like that yeah. in a field. You kind there was a moment where I felt like it was never gonna happen again, but I've booked tickets for things, so it better. It better happen. I think this summer actually is going to be a lot about outdoor partying. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of it. And I think there's going to be sound systems, you know, in Soho and out and about. And people are just going to be up for it. I'm doing a very bad job as your bartender. I haven't even offered to get you a drink yet. What is your... All right. What's your tipple? What's your go-to choice? Yeah, just a vodka tonic, please. Keep it simple. Keep it cheap. Your cheap, cheapest vodka. And tonic, I'm, I'm, I'm here for the long haul, so I don't want to spend too much on each drink. I love that. Are we going for a single or are we going for a double? Going for a double. We'll start with a double. Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to join you. I'm going to have, I'm going to have the same. Two vodka right. tonics coming right up. And now, now that we are ready with our drinks, we can go back in time and go back to the first time that you started going out. Mm. You grew up in Pennsylvania. Yeah. But then you moved to San Diego for university. We, we moved, my family moved to California, to L.A. And um, I went to, and a year after that, I went to university. So I went to university in San Diego, which is south of L.A., close to the Mexican border. Yeah, I mean, that's where I came out. And that's where I started going out as well. And the place to go in San Diego at that time was called the West Coast Production Company. WCPC and it was a disco and it had been a disco for a lot. So we're talking 80, we're talking 89, 90, right? So it had been a disco for probably 10 years from, you know, from the late seventies. And what I love in a disco is a sunken dance floor because then you have that kind of like raised area where you can stand around and look into the dance floor and sort of see so there's all those guys sort of cruising around and then you're also when you're in the dance floor you're on stage at the same time I'm, I'm in heaven I love that the music was soul to soul it was delight 
It was um, CNC Music Factory. It was Black Box. It really, really great stuff. So it was a fucking blast. And, you know, it was also the, the days when it was the only club in town. So it was gays. It was dykes. It was trans. It was everybody. You know, I don't know if you come from a provincial town, but when there's one gay club, everyone goes there. And I miss those days. Yeah, I, I came from Maidstone in Kent, which is famously right. the least gay place in the universe. So actually, I don't think <laughs> there was one there was one pub called the Queen Anne, but um, I never went. I was too scared. Well, with this place, it was the kind of place where you'd have the butchest, butchest dyke and the the most outrageous queen right next to each other. And those kinds of places are so rare. And I love what you're saying about how kind of inclusive it felt, because I think nowadays spaces are dominated, queer spaces are dominated by, you know, gay men. So to have a club where you've got just kind of everyone there, it sounds it sounds sort of like a utopia. Well, I mean, it had its positives and negatives, of course, you know what mm. I mean? Um, the other thing that was really cool about it is San Diego is very, like I said, it's very close to the Mexican border. So it's very, the whole town is very Mexican, you know? And so there was a real Latin crowd and influence and the music could go in that direction as well. And when that happened, you know, a whole different dance style would take over and, and all of a sudden we'd be in some sort of Latin music moment you know and then it would switch back to crystal waters or d live or whatever you know it was a kind of an interesting mix of cultures and characters and and all that stuff yeah that's where me and my friends used to go and run around and then they redid it down the street and it was even more of a sunken dance floor in that the, the dance floor was on the ground floor, but then it sort of raised up two floors and you could be on railings like two floors above looking down, you know? Oh, I mean? nice. Yeah, yeah. It was a blast. Had you come out already by the time you started going partying or did you, was that a way of coming out? <laughs> yeah, it was a way of coming out. It was sort of a way of coming out. And, you know, it was pretty easy to come out at university um, looking back. My university offered like um, counseling services. Mm -hmm. And I went to the counselor and I said to her, okay, I have this issue and I'm going to tell you about it, but I'm only gonna tell you about it because I want you to cure me. Wow. And she was like, okay, that's, let's make a deal. She said, you be, the deal is I will help you, but only if you take a really good look at it first and at the end of that you want to be cured or you want help with it then I will help you so I was like okay that's that seems reasonable and fair of course she knew exactly what she was doing right as soon as I dropped my defenses and actually looked at the situation obviously I would come out which is what I did I love that it was cool it was, cool. was it when you were studying at university in San Diego that you got into comedy well I studied theater you know and so and drama and acting I did a year in my university at, from San Diego. I came to the UK and went to Birmingham University in 1990, 91. And that's when I met Johnny Wu for the first time. And um, we used to run around at Tintin's in Birmingham, which was a legendary gay club at the old Bullring, 
you know, I mean, that was a whole mad moment and mad time. Anyway, when I came back, I went, I had one more year at uh, university in San Diego, and then I moved to San Francisco. And in San Francisco, I started kind of, you know, it was, there was a rage for these kind of like one man kind of monologue things going on, you know, and that was happening on Broadway and it was happening across the country. And they were really earnest, you know, people were really kind of like saying things, you know, all this bullshit. And so I started that, but I tried to make them comic and uh, I had some success with that. And then, then there was also like more conventional stand-up, and because I, I just wanted stage time, while I could do some of that monologue stuff in some venues, I needed to, if I wanted to be on stage, I needed to learn how to do stand-up comedy. So I just started hanging out at this comedy club and doing comedy. And and I don't know if you know Scott Capurro, but he was there at that time, and Margaret Cho, and Robin Williams would drop by. And so, I mean, I was a little bit, I mean, it wasn't like I was hanging out with Robin Williams, but he was in the ether, you know? Yeah, so that's how. So you moved to San Francisco, you're yeah. getting into this comedy scene. San Francisco yeah. is, um, in my head, it's a, it's a gay mecca. It's a queer mecca. It is, what, yeah. How long were you there for, first of all? I was there for, I think, six years, six or seven years in the 90s. Tell me about it. Tell me how, first of all, how, how did it compare to San Diego moving? Well, it was so much bigger. It was so much bigger. It's not a bigger city, but the, the queer scene is so much bigger. It's so much more out. It's, you know, it's a gay, it's run by queers. And it was also much more um, uh, fractured. So there was like, Tuesday night at this venue was for like lesbian Asian soul night. And then Thursday night at this other venue was for leather gay disco night. And you know what I mean? Like it was, there were very few of those big spaces that were much more inclusive. It was really about finding your niche. Uh, So that was really an education for me. Did you find your niche or were you someone who would bounce? through all of them. I bounced a lot. I bounced a lot, you know, and there was much more house parties as well. You know, you would go to a lot of house parties and I, I, I love a house party. San Francisco still to this day has great street parties. So there used to be this thing called the Castro Street Party and they would have one in the spring and one in the autumn. And literally the whole street was just sound systems and queers and beers and dancing. And that was also Halloween, the same thing would happen and New Year's, the same thing would happen. And then when there was some political thing, again, boom, the street, would everyone would be out on the street, queers, protesting, music, dance. I was just there in November when Biden and Harris were announced to be president and vice president. and. Kamala Harris is from San Francisco. And so me and my friend said, oh, well, let's go to the Castro. We should go to the Castro and hang out, even though it was still pandemic time. And, we went, and of course there were sound systems and people were dancing and it was wow. like the old days, it was amazing. What other things gave the city that feeling of queer history? You know, there were like almost generations of older gay guys or gay people, but particularly older gay guys there who had been through the sort of AIDS pandemic. And it was sort of the, 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 the last years before the um, drugs came about. So there was still a real sense of people dying, but it was a little less of a, that kind of crazy panic moment. There were some drugs and things. 
and I certainly knew people I, that you know passed away, and I worked in in that world, you know, um, raising money for organizations, and that was my original one of my original jobs. But um, so it was a, it was a place of real gay identity and heritage, and so that was always a part of it, you know, and and music, you know, disco was really revered, and and even though it was many years after the disco thing, you know. Um, I'm always interested speaking to uh, people who sort of started their clubbing experiences in the late 80s. What was what was that like? There was definitely fear, but I mean, safe sex was really a thing. Everywhere you went, there were posters and 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 there were condoms and there was it was really promoted and embraced. You know, you had to sort of personally come to terms with you knew you were gonna have sex and you wanted to have sex, but you had to really also have a level of control in that, in that behavior. And you had to come to terms with the fact that, okay, I'm gonna use condoms, that's just the way it is. To a great degree, it was, it was really part of the culture. People were much less open about their HIV status as well. It's not like today, you know, where people are right up front or, yeah, it was, it was, it was different. It was different, mm-hmm. but it didn't stop us. You know, almost like the kids today with the pandemic, you know, people are still clubbing, right? There's underground clubbing happening. And I, you know, a lot of people are angry about it. And I said, you know, I mean, fuck off. They are in their 20s. They're in their 20s and 30s. I was also running around crazy in those days. You got to let young people be young people. So you were in San Francisco for six years. And obviously the music was a big part of that. And very varied by the sounds of it. Is there is there a particular song or artist that kind of evokes those times for you if you were to hear it again? I'd say Janet Jackson. You know, any sort of Janet Jackson was really, really of that moment and really big. And um, we all just went crazy for it. Have you seen her live? I've never seen her live. Have you? I don't. I, she performed at Glastonbury when I was there. And I can't remember if I saw her or not, if I'm completely honest. Yeah, I think I, I think I may have seen that and I don't think it was uh, Janet at her best. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't hear a lot of people talk about that moment. No. Kind of for a reason, I think. <laughs> it, you know, I think poor old Janet is, is not Janet of yore. You know, I love, I love a bit of, all, uh, of Janet and um, she was so everywhere. It's hard to believe how everywhere she was because she's a little bit nowhere now. This is just your friendly reminder that there is no music on this podcast, but if you do want to hear any of the songs that David is talking about, then we've made a Spotify playlist so you can enjoy this lock-in experience in full. So then you moved to New York City. Then I moved to New York, yeah. What what prompted the move? Oh, you know, I got too big for San Francisco. I mean, San Francisco is in many ways kind of a small town. And after you've pretty much slept with everyone and, (laughs) you know, been to all the parties and, you know, it's sort of like, oh, I got to get out of here. It's, you know, it's a great place and I love it very much, but it's also a very inward looking place. And went to New York and then I went from being kind of like a, what I would have imagined sort of like a big fish in a small town in San Francisco to a tiny little fish in a very big town. I had a lot of fun. And, but it was, it was, um, you know, it was, it was not an easy place to be. You really had to work your ass off to 
stay, keep your head above water. I got there during the first internet boom. So imagine 99, 2000. I knew nothing about the internet. And someone, I met someone and they said, oh, why don't you come to my office tomorrow because I need someone to write some stuff and you'd be great for it. So I did. And within six months I had, I was editorial director. I had a team of 10 people. I had people in LA, people in London, people in Amsterdam. And I didn't know, I still didn't know the first thing about the internet. Was it a magazine that you were writing for? No, 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 no. We were like, we were like making websites. Oh. For like, it was the first time people needed websites. So like CBS, which is like American, like it's like the BBC or something. They needed a website and they didn't know what they needed. And we kind of didn't know what they needed, but we said, we'll, we'll build it for you. And then we had to go and fucking build it. <laughs> and there was just all this money around. And so all of a sudden I was making more money than I had ever made. To be making that kind of money in New York City must have been the perfect combination because it's such an expensive place just to even enjoy a night out. That was the time of the cock. The cock had just opened in New York. Have you been to the cock in New York? I've not been to the cock. Well, the cock was a really dirty, sleazy throwback to the 1970s. So this is in the late 90s when this happened, 90, 2000, early 2000, 99, 2000. And so it was really, yeah, it was just a really sleazy, fun, happening bar in the East Village. And so that was a, a real hot spot to hang out at. And then there were the real kind of model bars, you know, over in um, Chelsea. And that was more like the muscle scene and whatever. And there was a famous one, I'm blanking on the name, but they had showers over the bar. So there was the bar and then behind it, there were these, almost like a stage behind the bar where models and muscle boys would get, would dance. And then there would be, they'd be like in a shower and they'd be taking a shower. Oh, that sounds really hot. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. And that was, that was really fun. But again, those bars always kind of intimidated me because they were so, people were so gorgeous and so pretty and so muscle and so a little bit, you know, felt very, um, very far away somehow. I stayed in New York for six months, like a few years ago. I was studying out there. And one of, well, two of the things that I found when I was over there was that there wasn't the same nightclubs. I couldn't, I felt like everywhere I was going to was kind of like a bar. Yeah. There didn't feel like there were spaces to go into huge rooms with loud music and just dance forever. And secondly, in the bars I was going in, everybody just looked the same and they were all just like gorgeous and and intimidating that they were my two takeaways from New York I felt like frightened to go into places and I also was like where are all the where's heaven where's the equivalent of heaven yeah yeah I think a lot of that died in um when Giuliani came in the earlier mid-90s he killed a lot of that and also that was the time of the um, party monster Michael Alec uh, moment and you know that also put a, a negative light on those kind of big spaces because they were really happening in the early mid 90s that was the way to go clubbing but that all closed down after party monster and giuliani kind of put it put an end to all of that and stuff really broke down into smaller spaces and that was all because of the sort of drama and scandal around the party monster thing you think well 
that was the symbol. Like Giuliani used that to clamp down on mm-hmm. that world that he was trying to clamp down on anyway. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I agree with you. That's one of the things that New York really lacks is one of those big dance spaces, you know? I just read, though, that some big nightlife promoter has bought a three-story or four-story big, big venue somewhere near Times Square, and it's going to be an exclusively gay venue, and that's going to open up in New York after the pandemic, you know, when things open up again. Well, we all have to go back then, basically. Yeah, yeah, I, I would love it. It'd be fun. And obviously, the comedy scene, how was that out there for you, or just performance in general? Well, I was perform- my, I had a good deal of success in San Francisco, and then I thought, like, okay, now's the time to go to New York, and, and I went to New York, and I really, it really pushed me back. It was really hard. Mm-hmm. I found it really intimidating and, and uh, I struggled. So a little bit when the opportunity came to move to London with that crazy job I was with, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go to London. You know what you said, like everyone looked alike in New York in your place. Mm-hmm. I don't want to te- tear down New York too much because I also love New York and I have friends there who've done extremely well and I, I love it. But I, I always did feel in that time when I was there, I always felt like there were like four options for gays. You could be the muscle gay, you could be the feeder queen, you could be the finance gay, or you could be the art artist gay. But if you weren't one of those, come back and tell me when you figured out who you are. You know, like <laughs> there's no, there's kind of no room for you. You have to really know who you are there because someone's gonna ask, who are you? What do you do? What's your thing? And if you can't answer that in 10 seconds, they've moved on. It's a place, once you've found yourself and you know what you want, then you go to New York and you push in that direction. But if you're a little bit like, oh, I'm not, mm, I, I don't know exactly what I'm doing yet, stay away. I'll come back here when I've got my shit together. Yeah, exactly. So you moved to London. Did you move to, you're based in East London now, are you? No, 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 no. Now I'm in King's Cross, but okay. I've lived all over, you know. Have you got a favorite place that you lived in London? I loved my Bethel Green days. They were fucking great. Let's get on to London nightlife then. So I arrived in London, I was, I think, 32 or something. So I was, wasn't a you know, spring chicken or anything, and I'd been around, but it felt like I, I quickly made friends with two other people who had just arrived in London as well. So we were discovering it together. And these two friends of mine and I, just tore London to shreds, you know, every, from, you know, gay bars in fucking Lewisham to RVT and Ducky and all those terrible railway arch clubs that were happening in the 2000s in Vauxhall, did all of those. Soho for, I mean, the amount of money I spent in Soho in my first few years in London, I mean, it was insane. You know, so this is 2000, early 2000s, East London wasn't happening. Although, you know, I wasn't above finding myself over at the White Swan on occasion, don't get me wrong, in, in Limehouse. You know the White Swan in Limehouse? I don't know the White Swan. The White me. Swan was legendary. I think it's there now, but I'm not, sh- it's, it's been cut in half. So it was one of these big old pubs that was like a pub with another room that was a dance floor, a big like disco connected to a pub, almost kind of like a provincial gay bar, right? Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Um, we just ran around everywhere. Then things started happening in the East. 
Johnny and the Georgia Dragon and that whole crowd and Bistro Tech started happening and Bistro Tech was legendary and so much fun and such a great, such a great place. And there were so many bars as well, pubs and, and those, and bars that weren't pubs, you know, there was just a variety of stuff around. You really very much felt much more part of a, a community. You would have gay stuff around you, you know, and that's kind of disappeared with all those spaces, that sense of community, not just of that space, but of the larger community has kind of disappeared. How do you think that your experience going out has influenced your work as a performer? Has, is there a link there at all? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm someone who's really curious and I always wanted to check out places I hadn't been and scenes I didn't know. So that's what drew me to parties out at um, Lime, out in Limehouse at the White Swan. Or also there used to be Stunners, which was this club in Cable Street Studios, which was this sort of trans club. There was a lot of sex going on at the same time. So there were sex workers and trans people and they had a one toilet, but it was this amazing toilet. Imagine a corridor, a long corridor, and then it opened up on both sides into like a rectangular space. One wall was all stalls and then the other wall was all mirrors. And that's where everyone would go back and just smoke back there, hang out there, you know, men, women, trans people, everyone. And most of the party was hanging out in the toilets. It was so cool, right? So I would always seek out these kinds of places that were off my rate, you know, not, not in my natural kind of world. And as a performer and a writer, I try and talk about that stuff, you know? I try and, you know, that's the stuff that interests me. So many comics are always talking about themselves and their world and their, my anxiety or my issue or, or that. And I never, that never appeals to me. I'm much more interested in comics or writers or anyone who's talking about observing outside their world and not their own insecurities and their own dramas, but what they're seeing around them. I don't know, I mean, I, that to me is, is what makes London so great and has always made London so great, or my experience of London so amazing is that I, I can, I am a little bit of an outsider to begin with, but also there's so much to see and experience and definitely in, in the nightlife. This was the time as well when, you know, everyone was smoking initially, when I got here, everyone was smoking in the venue and so, and it was, everything was in a little bit of a haze, you know? So you had this kind of hazy vision of what you were seeing that, that kind of gave it a romance and a, a mystery to it. So all of that has, I think, deeply influenced the way I look at the world, maybe through this haze, you know, <laughs> through a romance. What, what kind of music for you maybe takes you back to maybe those earlier years in London of you first kind of discovering the scene. Is there a well, song? Yeah, I mean, I, a, a few things I would say. I love, I, I'm someone who needs melody in my music, you know, I'm basic in that way. And I love something I can act out on stage, you know, when you're dancing. So that's why I love a lot of old disco, you know, really turns me on. But, you know, when, um, when I was, Running around London in the early 2000s, that sound was really like Mystique and the Sugar Babes and um, 
you know, Madison Avenue had that great song, Don't Call Me Baby. So I loved, I loved that, I loved that kind of almost Euro poppy, really bad, imagine you're in Sitges or Grand Canaria, all that kind of garbage Euro pop. I love it to death. And like I said, you know, going back to Horsemeat Disco on a Sunday and those, you know, again, were like tea dances that would happen like from the afternoon into the evening. That, that those guys are, are so brilliant, the way they can find those old disco classics that I don't even know the names of, but I've, that I've heard so many years, you know. Also in the, the good days, you know, they had that great back patio, the Eagle, and we'd all be out there smoking or smoking weed, or they'd also used to have a barbecue as well. So you- A horse meat disco. Yes, yes. Burger breath. Yeah, it was a lot of that. Sexy. <laughs> so to round off this chat, we're going to have a mini award ceremony now. Okay. We're calling it the Fag Awards, the right. Fun and Gay Awards. <laughs> so category number one, this is your award for the best pub that you've ever been to. I, it's a tough one because I love the Georgian Dragon, uh, but I'm going to go with the Vauxhall Tavern. Okay, category number two. This is the best club or club night in the world. In the world. Oh, my God. These are the big questions. They are the big questions of life, aren't they? <laughs> I'll say Litterbox. Litterbox was a club in San Francisco, and it was a short-lived but really cool sort of alt club experience. It was really kind of gender fuck. The music was great and people were fucking wild. What about the Fag Award for the best supporting city? So this is the best city to party in. I would say just my own experience, I would say London. But yeah, that's in London. And finally, the award for the, your dream celebrity party guest. So they can be dead or alive. You can take anyone out with you for a night out. Who are you taking? I think it would have to be someone who I would really want to sort of sit in the corner and chat with and look at everybody and, you know, gossip about everyone around us. <laughs> I think someone like... In my mind, someone like Alan Cumming, like someone, someone really smart and witty and funny. Alan Cumming, award winner. Amazing, yeah. that draws to a close the award ceremony. Hey. Well, that's it. Thank you so much for joining me tonight at The Glory. I'm gonna clear away your glasses. Where's the after party? There's something happening down the road, so we can Good. go check that out if you want. Good, I will. Let's go via the after party. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me. Yeah. And, um, Thank you. I'll see you soon. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what a lovely human being. If you want to follow David, then you can do that Twitter, Instagram. It's at David Mills Deck. And thanks for listening. I've been Tobias Graham and this has been The Glories Lock-In.